Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sheila Scheuge and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not. But my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week's guest is politician and Kerry man, Michael Healy Ray. Any morning you can turn your two legs out of bed, pull up your own trousers, put on a shirt, smarten yourself up and go out. And like, I'm not talking about work, I'm not talking about achieving, I'm not talking about making money, I'm just talking about that you can go away and walk down the road or, I don't know, go to Mass, go to watch a football game, go feed the ducks, you know? Mm. Look up at the sky, do anything. Whatever it is, If we have a dog, rub the dog and take the dog for a walk and talk to the dog. Like, Mm. simple, ordinary things. If you can do that, sure, my God, you haven't done the lotto in your pocket. We sat down to have a chat many months ago now, but I think his philosophy in life is certainly something we could do with a generous injection of, particularly at the moment. In this chat, we talk about many things. His recovery from an accident in his 20s, his parents, why he doesn't need too much sleep, and why talking is so important. Here it is. So look, what is a typical day like in your life? Because I get the impression from you that you're an early riser. Well, I suppose the one thing that I'd say, and it's the only advice I'd ever have for everybody, and that is I really uh, value every day. And what I mean by that is that um, I have this awful... I won't call it an obsession, but like I'm very tuned into the fact that like if if you're born and you live, we'll just say a hundred years, which would be a great achievement. And I've had the privilege of knowing people who are very old. I know one man; he gave up driving earlier this year. He's a hundred and four. Mm. He used to go down and collect his home help every morning because she didn't have a car at a hundred and four. Wow. And 
he's in great health, but like that is, to be fair, the exception. So my point is that every day is a very finite resource. And today is a time in, in space that we will never again have. So that's why I, you know, feel so adamant about using every minute of every hour of every day. And uh, that's why I, I do rise out early in the morning. I left Kilgarvan this morning uh, before five o'clock. And like if I am going anywhere, like if we're not on the road at that time, you know, in fairness, we're starting to waste your time. <laughs> because like, you know, if it is seven or eight o'clock, sure, the best part of the day is gone at that stage. So, uh, but is that just the day that you get in the car and you head to Dublin, or you're no, you're off no, doing something? No, but are like, you always up at five? No, I'd be up before six anyway. Would you? Get? Because again, like, and I see you, but I'd burn it at the other side as well. There's no point, you know, in leaving time go at night either. You should be, you know, you, you should be out at night as well and going to places and doing things because again, like the other night, there was a friend of mine. Simple thing, she was fifty, hmm. and I know this girl with a long time. But I know her family, her husband's family. And like when I went to this party, we'll call it, like, do you know the way you really feel at home at some things you'd go into? Like everywhere I turned, I knew everybody. I knew the, the little young lads and I knew their parents and I knew the grandparents. And I was going around from table to table and we were sitting down and talking about funny things that happened and having a laugh. Mm. And like definitely one of the best things you can ever do in this world is laugh. And it's like when something goes wrong or if something bad happens, try to be positive about it. And if you can twist it around and laugh at it, because there is no point in getting excited. And it's funny, it's it's laughter that kind of keeps you going through dark times as well, isn't yeah, it? Of course it is. Yeah. And it isn't that we're putting on a show or something like that. Like if we can genuinely see the funny side. And I know, look, sad things happen and bad things happen and we all get hits and knocks. But we'll say what we'll call the the other type of hits and knocks that happen like I really my mother stud, studied psychology and she always explained to me about this thing about putting problems in a box mm. you know covering over the box putting it away in a part of your head and not to open that box until you want to so you're in control of what's in your head mm. and that it isn't your head is ruling you it is your ruling yourself are you good at doing that yes and I can have a desperate, serious problem and I can park it. I can put it away in my head and bring it out when I want to. But otherwise, like... What's and that the... is a major skill. I think a lot of us, certainly for me, I, I don't know if I would be capable of actually tidying everything up in a, in a box and saying, look, I'm not able for you right now. I think there are times and places you can do that. But sometimes do you not feel that the box kind of opens itself, as right. it were, and kind of comes at you when you're not ready and you're going, I don't want to deal with you right now, but, but you're here anyway. But do you know what the word do you call that then? Why is it that some people, and it's a thing I know a good bit about because I, I purposely put myself forward one time. I was a young politician starting out and I was on the Southern Health Board. Yeah. And you could go on to different committees. And I'll tell you openly, like there was one committee that nobody wanted to be on. Mm. And that was called the Psychiatric Services Committee. And, uh, and when I say nobody wanted to be on it, that was just, it was politicians really didn't want to be at that aspect. This would be you know, 20 or 25 years ago. Yeah. But I wanted it. Mm. And it was easy for me to get on it because nobody else wanted it. 
the reason I wanted to be on it was I, I, I'd be interested in sort of, I always define it is if a person told me they were ill, one of the first questions I could ask them is, well, is it from the neck up or the neck down? Meaning, in other words, yeah, yeah, is it yeah. a physical or a mental illness? Mm. Now, 20 or 25 years ago, you didn't have half the talk about mental illness and the d- d- difficulties and pressures that people have now. But even that long ago, I was very interested in what happens do you know what is the difference between a person being, we'll say, bubbly and happy or suffering from depression? And it, it comes back to those boxes. It, it's how you deal with the difficulties in life. I deal with it myself in that I, I have people on the phone with problems. And the one thing I'm very respectful of, that every person's problem, no matter how big or small that problem may be, it is an awful big problem to you. Yeah. But when it comes to issues such as depression and the mind will say turning a person in a negative way and that they can't see any positivity. They can't see like when they're out on the street, well, isn't it a lovely day? Do you know? It's dry. It's not raining. There's sun beaming down on my face. Happiness is a thing that you can have if you want it, but you must be open to having happiness. Like, you know it yourself in your own life. Do you know the way if you were out with a crowd of girlfriends of yours now this evening mm. and there could be 10. And, but isn't there one person that will say to you, well, Sheila, if you knew the goddamn day that I had and if you knew what happened yesterday and if you knew what, well, who I have to face tomorrow and in other words, every word that will come out of them will be something bad and negative and everything is shite. Mm, right mm. but whereas instead of saying well isn't this great we're all here now have you a bit of crack have you a laugh have you a joke and in other words positivity and happiness is something you can have but you must work towards it yeah uh, come here I'm connecting with so much what you're saying if not every single word I'll be perfectly honest with you um Usually, though, for most people, it happens. There's something that happens in their life that gives them this sense of perspective and what really matters, what's real. Why am I worrying about this or not worrying about that or whatever? Was there something in your life that happened or have you always been this way? No, I wouldn't say I've always been this way. Like I had a bad accident when I was maybe 20 or 21 or something like that. Um, And uh, I was laid up for a long time and... uh, one thing that definitely didn't sit well with me for maybe about nine months, I couldn't work, right? Mm. And my work, we'll say at the time, was like I'd be driving a machine, driving a digger. So I'd get up every morning, get up on a machine, go away, do my day's work. And I was very happy. Like th- some of the best times that I ever had in my life was sitting up on a machine, do not doing my work here, there, everywhere, working for farmers, working for the forestry, working on building sites. And everywhere I went, I enjoyed it. But for nine months or thereabouts, I wasn't able to go to work. And um, now, it, what type of perspective did it give me? I had to go to rehab and all that. And I I got to know people who were what I'd call a way worse than me and who were terrible, nice people, but who unfortunately had, you know, all different types of misfortune that things happened them, you know. Mm. And... Uh, and they had to get going in. When I say get going, I mean, I was in um, St. Mary's Orthopedic in um, Grand Abraha in Cork. Yeah. And uh, great people, great nurses. They had to be tough. They had to be, you know, it, it, it wasn't a holiday camp. And um, like from morning till night, your job was... Uh, getting, for instance, walking. If it was limbs, you know, upper limbs that weren't working, trying to get trying to get the most out of your body again. 
I learned an awful lot during that about, you know, what happens in life and the knocks you can have and things like that. But uh, my attitude was, I was going to get going. I was going to go back to work. I wasn't going to miss a day. In other words, the first chance I could. So a very nice neighbour of mine, Cahal O'Sullivan, uh, poor Cahal, um, he was a digger driver as well. So the only way I could go back to work, we'll say ahead of time, was that instead of being in a place where there was just one machine, there'd have to be two machines working. And Cahal's, like he was driving his machine and but his job was to take me from the car into the machine and when I said take me I mean open his back right and like that's how I used to go into work oh. every day he'd he'd come around to my side of the car he'd pull me up on his back and he'd take me in he'd put me city into the machine he'd put the diesel into the machine and fine once I was sitting in the seat I was able to drive away for the day and uh, and like it was such uh, how do you call it a big deal to get back to work again absolutely and to so, be able to work so you weren't you know? able to stand yes yeah I damaged nerves and like we'll say one of my legs wasn't working right and uh, how I, long a process was it so before you kind of got I, back well to I was four and a half years on two crutches okay and then I got down to one crutch and then braces and all that sort of thing and but um, so it was a long, it was a long haul. Like, so it gives I, you a lot of time to think as well. Yes, but I was very determined to get back to work. Yeah. And like, I used like when I got going better, then like I was able to work away on two crutches. But like, again, it like I hate to see anybody with crutches because it's just they're such. I I absolutely despise them because if we give four and a half years with two things that we have to have with you all the time, like it's an awful long time. You know, not have your hands to pick up something. You know, if it was only to carry a little two glasses of water, sure, no hands. Yeah, like yeah. simple things that people take for granted. But like, if if people think that they have worries or problems, like go visit a hospital, go to go to Dunleary, go out and see the work they do outside there, and uh, meet the people that are inside in revolving beds, and that might know that they'll never again stand on their own two legs, they might never again get out of a revolving bed. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And like, think about how happy we are then that like, they're looking, any morning you can turn your two legs out of bed, pull up your own trousers, put on a shirt, smarten yourself up and go out. And like, I'm not talking about work, I'm not talking about achieving, I'm not talking about making money, I'm just talking about that you can go away and walk down the road or, I don't know, go to mass, go to watch a football game, go feed the ducks, do you know? Mm. Look up at the sky, do anything. Whatever it if is, If we yeah. have a dog, rub the dog and take the dog for a walk and talk to the dog. Like, mm. simple, ordinary things. If you can do that, sure, my God, you haven't do the lotto in your pocket. You do. Do you know? If we compare it to the the other serious situations that people have. But but if, if, if I could like to impress something on people. It's the whole thing about people saying, well, do you know, I'm depressed or do you know, my mind isn't right. Like your mind is like your bones. I really believe you can heal your mind. You can make yourself better. And I don't mean this now in a sort of a simplistic way or anything. I mean it in that that it's how you actually come about it. My mother explained to me, she was in New York when she studied psychology and she got a, whatever it is, a diploma or whatever you got at the time, but it was at night she studied it. And uh, she, like she said, there was so much involved in a person's head and that people actually don't realise 
you know, I mean, your intelligence, we use a minute part of our intelligence. My mother could speak seven languages. She could speak and write Arabic. And like if she wanted to, she could have, you know, learned another teen if she wanted to. Yeah. But she made out like she had seven languages. She was fluent in every one of them. And um, incredible. Like, oh, yeah. It, it, and it was really. Um, Does that rub off on ye? Well, do you know what I used to always say about that? Um, because I had awful trouble the other side of the kind. I had awful trouble in reading and writing. And uh, when I was like 10, 11 and 12, I couldn't write my name. Yeah. I couldn't read the, the sign over the bar that said Jackie Healy Ray. I couldn't read it. OK. And um, what I used to always say to my mother, that the world was very unfairly divided. She could speak seven languages and I couldn't write one. But what it was, was I was profoundly dyslexic. Yes. And uh, anyway, they, I got going a, a very nice nun. I actually met her this weekend, Sister Regina. And she taught me how to read and write. But when she taught me how to read and write, I was just before going to secondary school. So I had two choices. Either get going, that's what I call getting to read and write, or else forget about school because how could you go to secondary school and like not be able to write your name? Mm. But then I went the other direction. I went from not being able to read or write to being obsessed with reading. And like when I was you know, 13, 14, 15, but think about all the catch up I had to do. Yeah. So I used to read books. I used to actually read them. I used to devour them because it was so, it was such a new, a new thing to be able to read these things that were nothing but a blur before. And all of a sudden it made sense to me and the stories made sense to me. And it was like the famous five and you know, all of Eden Blyton's books and all those and these things then I loved them they were called Tell Me More and Tell Me Why right mm. and it was just simple things like you know why 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 does why does the sun shine why does the moon why is the moon white and why, you know, why are the, the, what holds the stars in the sky is all these sort of and then you had the big long explanation and uh, like the explanations to me were fascinating and it was like learning and I was like a sponge. I was so keyed all in because this was all new to me. And uh, because like all the other years, we'll say like four, five, six, seven, eight, nineteen, eleven, I wasn't take it in at all because mm. I just it, it meant nothing to me. So uh, you definitely have had moments in your life where you have been faced with challenges. And it sounds like you once you, I suppose, learn to navigate it, you then have this great sense of appreciation. Oh God, yeah. yeah. And I really appreciate, and I appreciate the simple things. Like I say, the fact that you're able to put on a pair of shoes you know, and walk out the door, that, that's a big deal. Yeah. And to anybody that couldn't do that, like they know what I'm talking about. And it sounds like you're, you, you, I suppose with your mother being so highly intellectual and being able to access so many aspects of her own brain. But life is so interesting. Uh, when my mother came to Ireland and we'll say married my father, Will the house that they would have lived in had no electricity. Was she born and reared in America? Yes. Yeah. But we'll say where she had been working up until then was in the Empire State Building. Okay. On the 70, 72nd floor, I think, in uh-huh. the Syrian consulate. Right. But could you imagine leaving America and coming to Ireland and t- moving into a house where there was maybe no running water or no electricity? But like... She that, was, that's love. Yes. Well, she was extremely happy because my father was a terrible, nice man. And um, yeah. and a very interesting man, and uh, but like again, that was like a, a challenge to her, and it was a case of yeah, must get on with this now, do you know? And uh, how did they meet? They met in New York. No, no, they met in. Um, my mother came to Ireland on holidays, and uh, 
when she got off the train in Killarney, there was a very nice man by the name of Michael Jones. And uh, he was like, um, he worked in a hotel, but he had a hundred jobs, if you know. He was one of those men that was involved in everything. So he used to go up to the, to the train station and he'd attract uh, visitors to go and stay in the hotel that he was working in. And then if that hotel was full, he'd fill other hotels, then he'd fill guest houses. But then he'd also, if he saw somebody looking for a taxi or a hackney, as it was called at the time, he'd say, oh, I have a hackney outside. And he had his preferred hackneys or if it was a jarvey with a horse. And when he saw my mother anyway, he said, you know, where are you going? She said she was going out to Cooley's and Mukras. And he said, oh, I have a nice man now outside the door that will take you out there. So out she went. And the first thing she was faced with was this man driving the car. And like she explained to me, he had, um, do you know, like, a, do you know, an iron jumper, white wool, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. A white woolen hat, right? But do you know a big blobby thing here on oh, the top yeah. of it? I remember know, those well. With, with red, a red splash of, <laughs> do you know, on the top of it. Right. And she the sat. colours. Yeah. So she sat in there with this man. And um, the first thing he said to Renee when they were out, he said, what in the name of God is carrying you out here? And um, he said, you'll die. Uh, a death of boredom outside here for the next few days and he said there's a big dance on in Killarney tomorrow night I'll collect you and I'll take you to the dance and uh, she did and off they went and uh, he took her to the dance and all that and uh, she had to go back to America then So come here the man was My father Yes uh, and uh, so the, the confidence that I'm sure yes. like you know a woman from America coming from the world that she's coming from that would maybe intimidate someone else no, sure that's that he had no problem at all basically saying, Come yeah, on now, I'll yeah, show you around. Yeah, and I'll take her to the dance tomorrow night. And she said, Yeah, that'd be great. And off she went. And you know, my father did go to America for I don't know how long, maybe they got married in America in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And uh, So that was that it like? From that night they were inseparable. They were, I think, yeah. They wow. started to go out then, yeah. And um and he went to America, then they got married in America and he stayed there. He worked there for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or something. And uh, they came back to Ireland then. And uh, and that was it. So yeah. I suppose, like, your, 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 what would you call that? Your path, I suppose, to, to a big degree is worked out for you. But sometimes in life, you have to make a jump yourself in one direction or another. And it is like, like they always say, you could go out the door and you could turn right and you could, you know, have some very good fortune. You could turn left and be driven over by a bus, you know. Yes. So like, Luke has an awful lot to do with I'm life I'm so glad you well, brought like. this up as well, because this was one of the things I was going to ask you, because I'm a big believer in, I, I don't believe in the, the concept of coincidences. I do think everything happens for its own for reason. reason. The good stuff and the bad stuff and the everything in between stuff. But I also believe that there are moments in your life where you're given an option and it's up to you to either embrace the the opportunity and take that leap of faith and do that brave thing like your dad yeah. saying to your mom, look, at, come on, I'll bring you to the dance or, or not. So do you believe there's a higher purpose? Oh, well, I, I do, I suppose, to the degree that sometimes while well, you make out your own look, right, uh, sometimes, but. You have to be looky as well, you know. I mean, you can have, in fairness, I mean, a person can have bad look. But it's, it, one of the biggest things is, no matter what happens to you, it's how you react to what happens. That what, that's what sort of defines you as a person. Like, yeah. the two people can have the same event happen in their lives. And they, the two of them can act, react completely differently. I mean, 
a person could have a bereavement and one person's attitude it could be oh I'll go away drinking and I'll never again draw sober breath because I'm so upset over this and you could waste the rest of your life another person could have as equally bad an event I mean I meet, meet it myself with you know, dealing with clinics and I meet people who have had awful trials and tribulations but they, they get on with it and they realise look I have to keep going I have to be positive I have to keep a brave face on and get on with life and make the most out of it mm. and um, and like I say it isn't that you need to be set in the world on fire or anything but you can just go away and do do not do things that make you happy. I mean, if you like playing bingo, go away and play faking bingo. Do you know? Like, if you like, do you know, the simple things, go out, play a game of cards with your friends. Like, nice things that make you happy. And uh, and isn't that great? But I must tell you a nice story about uh, one night I found myself in, um, in Limerick. I, I was at something and... Um, uh, my- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My wife and a few friends, we were, we were together and we were walking down the street and we met just, just because I mentioned bingo and to just tell you the funny things that happened. And... Uh, we had maybe an hour to spare or whatever and we saw all these you know more more older people mm. and they were all going to something so of course nothing do me all I said Let's, what's on it all I said where are you going yeah. and they said we're going to bingo yeah. and nothing in the world did do me then all I said do you know we'll all go to bingo for the hour or whatever so I asked how long bingo is so we went in anyway and uh, to tell you the way you meet people and uh, we were walking out anyway, and there was this terrible nice lady and she was walking along and she had one of those like little walking frame things, you know, with wheels. Yeah. A lovely lady and whatever. When I was talking to her and she said, did you enjoy the bingo? I said, I did. It was great crack altogether, I said. And next thing she said to me, um, do you know, sure you would know my brother, she said. Do you see, he's above there witty. So I was thinking, God, her brother's a politician. I said, oh, who is he now at all? And, and, and 
I had to start to say, who's he now at all? What? No, I said, what does he do? Right? And she looked up at me. I don't know. He's still the president, she said. It was, it was Michael Lee's <laughs> ah, sister. Go away. But, and she was so nice and so funny about it. The way she said, oh, he's still the president. You know? <laughs> oh, that's but, lovely. But, uh, but so you meet very nice people in route and, and you can have crack and fun wherever you go if yeah. we're open to having fun. Isn't that gorgeous, though? The groundedness and the down to earthness of that comment itself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ah, he's still the president. Ah, he's still the that's president. You know? And it was very just matter of fact. I like, love it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned it there, and I think for a lot of us watching the telly, um, a lot of people, you gained a lot of fans when you appeared on Living with Lucy with our, uh, our mutual friend Lucy Kennedy. You know, that's all nonsense. They are just like looking at Lucy, <laughs> and I was only coming in the way. Ah, come here. Yeah. It was. I think it was the fact that obviously it goes without saying the two of you are, are you know, you're coming from different worlds. But it just worked on telly. It's great fun. Yeah. And laughter, as you mentioned, it's 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 absolute medicine, isn't it? Well, you see, the one thing, the, the, how would I say this? And you would be in the same, how you would be cut from the same cloth. Uh, one thing that I have no time for whatsoever in this world, right? Yeah. And like, obviously, I'd be very respectful of everybody's positions, right? And all that type of thing. Yeah. But like, to me, whatever type of a job a person has or anything like that doesn't mean that any person is one bit better than some other person right Absolutely. so in other words one thing i have no time for is people who have notions about themselves right and uh, as you know yourself in the sort of a world we'll call it the 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 you know the media sort of and all that type of thing celebrity yes there'd be people yeah. that might have notions about themselves sure. But the one thing that's nice about Lucy Kennedy is that uh, nothing could be further from the, the truth. Like sure. she's terrible nice, terrible down to earth. And like that's why I'd say we probably get on that like she'd be of the same opinion as me. Like any person that, you know, big shots, like she would have no time whatsoever. No, no, for them. no, no. And, uh, and like people... To know that it'd be all about themselves and all that sort of all the rubbish. So that's why I'd say we got on good. And but the slagging again, was absolutely hilarious though. But you didn't, all, you but, didn't let her away with anything. But it was all the truth. <laughs> Do you see the amount of time she gives painting her nose? Jesus <laughs> Christ, damn it. You haven't seen the amount of times I paint my nose. <laughs> <laughs> Not well, yet, anyway. I'd, I'd be giving out to you too, sir. <laughs> but uh, no, she was nice and she was good fun and things like that. So I enjoyed her. Come here. We'll talk about your dad because obviously, you know, such a legend in 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 in, in Irish life, in mm. in political life. Um, we've heard many stories. Those of us living outside of Kerry, I would have I would have met him myself actually mm. in passing in Killarney once. Um, and and I know a lot of friends in Kerry. Just it's 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 an interesting one. I think those of us outside the county don't really get it. But what is it about um, the connection you have with your people? And I suppose. It's a, it's a question that has a few layers to it. Were you always destined to go, to follow in your father's footsteps and go into politics? I I, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, we'll say when I ran for the Dáil when my father retired and um, I was selected to run, we'll say, for his seat, uh, if, if he had been a younger man and if he wasn't getting tired, uh, like I was in no hurry to go anywhere, if you know what I mean by that. What way would I put it to? I was in the council at the time. I was driving a machine during the day. Yeah. And my father was in the doll. Like, if it could have stayed that way, I'd have been quite happy th that way. What was your reluctance, though? Well, well, it wasn't a reluctance, but it was like, as long as my father was there, I was quite happy with he being there. And it was only that, like I say, he was getting tired and he had 
given great service both locally and nationally and the poor man needed to you know to, to not be doing that anymore so that that's how I ran in at that time and it was uh, out of duty yeah well it was a great honour to be elected sure and and like it was a privilege to be elected and I think I'm always so grateful for, to the people that vote for me but um, how would I put this to you my father had given so much service he 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 couldn't go on forever and there's a time to get in and there's a time to get out and uh, like he was actually 67 when he got elected to the Dáil first was so he? like right. when other people hey. were retiring he was starting a new job yeah. you know and which showed the resilience of him my father would have been actively involved in politics for I suppose for 50 years sure you know sure and uh, like that's a great lifetime of course commitment of course it is and service to, to, to dealing with, with issues and problems but like it, it's an honour and a privilege to have people that trust you yeah. and that they to the case of I have a problem I have an issue oh well I must ring up and I'm able to ask this person and relate to that person. That's that's not a thing to be taken lightly. Mm. And do not people come to you with their personal problems and their personal issues. And like I say, you'd come across so many different things that are important to people and you, it's your job to try and help them. Do you know, I, I, I admire politicians a lot because first of all, I don't know how you do it. Uh, I, I really, safe to say, could never find myself doing it because I think as tough as it can be sometimes to have a in inverted commas of a public persona and putting yourself out there for opinion, public opinion. When you're in politics, it's a whole other game. And certainly in terms of yourself and your brother, I mean, controversy seems to surround you guys are critical comments. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you how do you like, you know, ride those waves and, and get through it? You're uh, like there'll always be people that will be critical. And like my father always said, the person that never made a mistake, never made anything. But like mm. you have people then who don't do anything and all they do is criticise other people who are trying to do things. And uh, I I really take no notice of them. And uh, I, I just wish that rather than being negative, that they'd go away again, come back to the story of not to 100. It's a very short length of time. So what are they going to use their lives with oh well I, I was up till three o'clock in the morning making negative comments on on social media about so and so it could have been a person who missed a goal in a game or it could have been a politician who they don't agree with their personal opinions sure like you can be critical of anybody and uh, are you critical yourself I'd be critical of issues but I wouldn't get fixated with it mm. I mean in other words a person can do something I can have an objection to that but I do. I wouldn't be personal about it, and I I definitely don't agree with this thing of you know insulting people and calling people names and like sure there's other people, that's all they do all day, yeah. and like why in the name of God would you bother? Like why would you let your life be taken over with, like there are people like who hate Hillary is you know, and like sure fine let him at it. But like and the same here. There's yeah. people, you know, who would probably never click and listen to this podcast because they can't stand the sight or sound of me. Yeah, well, you know yeah. I mean? but you'll have that. And you'll have that. Yeah. And that's something that I think once you accept that and you get to that place in your life when you realise that oh, everybody's going to love you and you're not going to love everybody else, 
Jeez, it gets a lot easier, I think. Oh, it does. And like, I wouldn't be one bit upset. I'd actually ask people who do that sort of thing, for God's sake, go away, get a mirror, look at it and start to think to yourself, what am I doing with my life? This is the most exciting thing I can do. Watch to see who's saying what, who's doing what, what statement has been issued by such a person. And then, oh, I'm the keyboard warrior going on making the dirty comment or the personal comment about how the person looks or walks or talks. For flip's sake, like, would they go away and do something? I remember a friend of mine gave me brilliant advice a good few years back and said, you know, you should take a compliment and an insult in exactly the same measure. Mm-hmm. With a pinch of salt, yeah. and not be, let yourself be, you know, I suppose elevated with the with the compliment, yes. or, or put down, or put down yeah. by the insult, wasn't it? it was. And it's really stuck with me, stuck stuck with me because I think it's very very easy to take the compliments and you know compliments on how you look or how you sound or what you're doing, but then when somebody attacks your your nature, or your how you look as a woman can be quite a tough one to take. I, I used to find myself really off balance with all of that, and I find it so much easier now. I don't let it in as much. It's yeah. a working process though It doesn't always work But I, it's something that I do remember now That I try not to Just try and stay balanced You know Yeah yeah. Um, your book Time to Talk Is kind of exactly What we're talking about here It's it's You want to capture Conversations with people Is it being lost a little bit now? Well it's being lost a little bit In that Like if you were inside in a room And if there was 10 people inside in the room Or they could be at dinner Or they could be doing anything how many of them will actually be looking in the eyes of of the person alongside them or speaking to the persons in the room? Yeah. Like they might be texting somebody in America or Australia or somebody five miles down the road, but they won't be engaging with the people in the room at all. So like even where I'm from, Kilgarvan, like like every other village, we had like we had I don't know how could I explain it to you. We had some of the nicest people that God ever put on the planet, right? Lovely people. I mean, I, everybody in Kiev knows this. So like, I, I, I tell the story. Like, I could be going through the village and we'll say, my father's bar, which is my brother's bar now. If I saw certain cars outside the bar and that I'd know that it was such a person was inside, like, no matter what rush I'd be in, I'd pull in and I'd jump out of the car and I'd go in to sit down alongside that person. And all I might say is, well, how are things? And they'd start telling me something. Or, and it was just because I enjoyed their company. Mm. And like, could you imagine young people now, you know, seeing a car outside a place and saying, oh God, so and so is inside. I must run into them for a minute. Yeah. And like, I used to love that. And I used to love meeting them and listening to what they had to say. And maybe hoppy a ball off them and saying, well, what did you think is such a thing? No, yesterday it could have been a football game or it could be something about, oh, I don't know, it could be about girls, it could be about courting, it could be anything. And they'd have some idea on it. And like, you know, we had, we had great characters. And unfortunately now, like every parish, an awful lot of those characters are gone. They've gone to their maker. And uh, we miss them so much. The other night, I was going up the stairs in a, a, in a racetrack and uh, there was a big crowd of, of youngsters in front of me. And I stopped them all and I said, stop there for a minute. And like these lads, you know, they might have been maybe seven and eight up along, maybe to 15. And they all stopped. And I said, do you realise, I said, you are the most important people in the whole world. 
And some young lad, he said, uh, he was always small little boy, he said, why, why, why would you say that? I said, well, for instance, I said, do you see these steps? I said, he'll be still able to run up and down these steps and be flying around. And I said, I won't be able to move at all. <laughs> you know? And in other words, that they are the future. Yeah. You know? And like they're, they're the teachers of tomorrow, they're the employers, they're the workers, they're the politicians, they're the decision makers. Yeah. And like that's why when you go into a r- room full of, of young people, like you'll be thinking to yourself, well, I wonder what will they be doing? Where, where will they go? What will these lads do? And what will these girls do? And how will their lives work out for them? Mm. And uh, it's very interesting. And like teachers must find it really interesting and exciting to know when a new school day starts, a new school uh, year, year like, yeah. and, and, and the little boys and little girls are brought in by their parents. And here they have then like, it's, it's my God, this person now, I, I, I must mind this person now for the next year, two years, however many years it is. And and that you're their connection with the world for when sure. their parents are gone away working and the parents are gone home, you're the boss then of that child. And you must mind the child and protect the child and educate the child. That's a real important job. Oh, for know. sure it is. So important. I'm, yeah. I'm listening to you with a big smile on my face because uh, I suppose as, as, a, as, a, as a mother of a two-year-old now, mm. I'm all the, the more aware every single day how important it is and what a privilege it is to, I suppose, empower and, and guide them along the way. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, who knows what the future holds for any of us. But, but sure, um, that's it. Do you know what? It brings me to, to sort of the end of it because I know time is really mm-hmm. precious. You've taken time out of your day. No you left Kilgarvan Crack of Dawn mm-hmm. to be here and I really appreciate it, Michael. And I've actually no enjoyed this conversation so much with you. I think there's been so much wisdom and so much um, I, I've connected with. But uh, two last questions. What is on the list to achieve for you? Well, I suppose <laughs> we'll say work-wise, Obviously, like I say, it's an honour and a privilege when people vote for you, right? So, of course, you'd like to be able to continue in that role because I, I, I find that I like doing what I do. I hope that people feel that I'm doing what they want me to do and that I'm fulfilling the function that they want me. Um, like... But on, on, a, on a grander scale, you I'm, as a man, you as Michael, you know, s- separate even to your political life. You know? well, well, it's like somebody said to me, they said, not too long ago, they said, where did I see myself in 30 years time? And the very first, not being smart or anything, but the first thing I said was, I said, hopefully alive, right? That's the first thing, because it's it, that that's the sort of basic ingredient. Sure. So I number one, to be alive in the future, that's terribly important, to be healthy, uh, is important and uh, because like you're going nowhere without those two ingredients and uh, again I've seen people grow older and you know really become fulfilled in that that they're happy at what they're at and uh, like I do lots of other work outside of politics do you know the way you get people giving out then about politicians or oh, well do you know in other words they do should only be a politician and nothing else well what I find in life when people come to me with problems is that the problems that they have nine times out of ten I'm after having that problem already myself because no matter what aspect of life they're dealing with if it is business or if it is anything if it is agriculture or whatever I've had those things myself and who better equipped to deal with a problem than somebody who has had the problem themselves so I find that you know being involved in some of the other stuff that I do, I 
uh, that's good for me as a politician because I'm able to deal with it hopefully in a in a good way because I'm used to that issue myself. So I mean there's a lot of things to do. Yeah, I'd have lots of things, little projects that I'm at and things I like doing and and um and I just want to continue and uh, and always to be able to work. That's the big thing. And to be able to and like I don't care whether you're seventy or whether you're eighty or whatever. Um you know that you can keep coming back to the story pull up our own trousers you know if we have to have somebody else put on our clothes that's bad yeah so it is once, the simple stuff isn't yes. it so yeah. once you can do that and sit in take car and drive away down the road that's a happy day absolutely and um, so just to keep doing that and um, well that brings me then to the wrap up there because you know um you, you spoke about it yourself. You mentioned the word f- fulfillment. Mm-hmm. What is personal fulfillment to you? As in, if you could maybe describe your dream day, the one that would fill you up on every level and make you feel good, um, what would that look like? Well, because of because of the politics, when when a person comes to me with a problem and, and if I'm able to help them, whatever that problem is, and if I feel that, yes, because that person came to me, I was able to do A, B or C. And no, believe me, it doesn't always work out that way because a lot of the times you could have a problem that you're not able to help with. But you try and the person knows you tried. So that's important. But the day you can help somebody else, that's a big day. And that's a happy day for me. Right. And uh, that's me doing my job as a politician. When I do things for myself and when it works, and like sometimes things work and sometimes things go right and more times they don't. And when they don't, I start to throw my draw hands up in there and I say, oh, sure, what the hell do I throw it anyway? And it could be some gamble you could take or something that you, you know, like one time I'll give you an example of odd things, queer things, right? Myself and nine other people one time, in our infinite wisdom, we thought it was a great idea. We'd grow hypericums. Oh. Do you know what a hypericum is? I do not know what a hypericum is. A hypericum is, is a, a type of a flower, a plant. Well, not really a flower. It's It'll be used in, in ornamental bouquets and all that sort of thing. Okay. But anyway, we were going to take on the Dutch at what they were doing very well. <laughs> we were going to grow hypericums and it'll be the same as taking an, an animal to the mart. We'd take our hypericums to the mart, which was auctions over in Holland. So we planted, oh, right. okay. we planted acres and acres of hypericums. Oh, so you went in for this? Oh, we went into this thing big time. Oh, right. And uh, we were smart men like. there was, And when I say men, there was teen of us like. Okay. And maybe that's what we were lacking was a woman with a real brain like. <laughs> but but we had these teen geniuses anyway. And we grew, we grew acres and acres of hypericums. So the first thing anyway that hit us was a sort of every type of disease that hypericums could get we got it (laughs) so we had to try and fight off this every infectious disease that was known to mankind we got it so we had to get over that so then we eventually got our crop going well anyway and then we had to harvest our crop and this was very labour intensive so labour intensive meant lots of money and uh, here we were we were bankrolling this thing anyway but we were going to do well like because we knew what we were doing the truth being we didn't have a clue so uh, we we loaded up our first lorries anyway and sent them off to the auctions and we were going to make money at the auctions in Holland now the first thing you know that you would have to learn when you go 
abroad like that thinking that you'll take on people that have been doing this for generations <laughs> and that like a group of a small little group from South Kerry that we were going to go <laughs> beating these fellas at their own business sure of course they knew that we couldn't bring back our hypericums because they'd be well rotten by the time we'd come back to a toilet. So when they actually went in, it's like selling an animal inside of a mat. Yeah. Like the trolleys are taken around showing what the produce is. And it is a case of, well, this batch is here from Ireland. Like, do you know who's bidding? Sure, all every fellow needed to do was leave their hands down and nobody bid. And, like, eventually, like, our stuff was sold for rock-bottom oh, price. No. So that meant then, every time we sent a lorry of hypericums, it wasn't what we made, but we actually lost. On every load that went out, we were losing money. So one night, we had a meeting in our local community centre anyway, and I think it was I made the announcement, lads, like... How much more of a beating are we going to get? Like, so we had to. The only way we could actually save our losses was to stop producing, to stop sending our stupid hypericums <laughs> to to Holland, and just forget about it, and plow out the hypericums and grow grass seed and start feed the animals like we should have been doing <laughs> in the first instance, instead of trying to take on the Dutch at selling hypericums, and it was just one of those funny things. But there was nights that like we could have left the, the community centre and we could have left it in a state of total depression but instead we actually left it in balls of laughter because we, we had this idea that you know so what we, we tried and, and isn't it great that you tried you dare actually, to yeah, yeah. and b b I do know one thing it is not advisable to go growing hypericums <laughs> you've learned a lot through the process <laughs> exactly. but isn't it great and that's the whole purpose of life really it's you got to dare you got to go for it you got to try exactly. and if exactly. you fail fair enough you learn from it and as you said you got to laugh about yes. it and some, and some Somebody in Holland made a fortune on the back of our work. <laughs> and you're more looked him. Oh, brilliant. Come here. A pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And thanks to you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please do tell your friends, your family. And if you can, take a second to rate, review and hit subscribe. I'd be so thankful. If you want me to chat to anybody in particular, please do get in touch. You'll find me on Twitter or Instagram at Sheila Shoya. Thank you so much for listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.